Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to the Bible faculty, to Dewey, our fearless mentors, all the sermon prep guys out there, the chance that we had last semester to learn together about um, proclaiming God's word through a, a great man as Dewey, as he just warmed up the crowd. Don't you love that? I love that. I was going to pull off some words. He did it for me. I was wondering how she would translate when Criswell was here and he said, lugubrious prognostication. That's a tough one. It's a great privilege to... Crazy words. It's a great privilege to stand before you um, as one of you and to be able to proclaim God's word this morning. A, a big question that people would ask me as I was getting ready and they knew that I was, I was speaking for Spurgeon Fest was, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Well, I woke up this morning and thought how easy it would be to lock the door, pull the covers over my head, no one would know. They couldn't get me out. It would be that easy. But this morning there is something so important that I have to share with you from my heart that there's no way that I would do that. It seems easy, comfortable, but there's no way that I would give up that opportunity to speak to you guys this morning. The subject this morning is something so vital that I hope you're all listening getting out a pencil, some paper, not because they're my words, but because they're God's words. This morning, everything that we've heard this semester, attributes of, attributes of God, um, hypocrisy, as, as Strauss talked on Monday, everything we've learned could have come in here and out here. But for these words this morning, applying them to our life, this is where it all comes down. Three weeks left. Hopefully, this is where it all makes sense, if you've lost it up until now. I don't know about your house, but I was reminded of something very special about my house when I went home for spring break. There's this special mother-son type relationship that I realized existed from when I was a child up until when I went home, and still goes on. There's this thing about when the TV's on, my mom's in the front room, and I'm in my room. Whenever something that she feels is super important, that she wants me to come out and see, she'll scream down the hall, Mark! She expects me to drop everything at the moment and charge down the hall, and I usually get there right at the time it, it hits the commercial. Well, this time during spring break, it was a special, it was a special thing that, that she yelled down the hall for. for. And if any of you are familiar or, or followed the Winter Olympics, you know what's special about Fremont, California, other than that's where I'm from. And that's that, that's where Christy Yamaguchi is from. And if you don't know who that is, she just won the gold medal and won the worlds as the female singles figure skater. And I say that, I say this, and I tell you the story not to say, hey, look at me, I know her, but I, I want to share you something very special. <laughs> I want to share with you something very special because someone asked me the other day who knew that I, I went to high school with her, is it worth it? Is it worth it being a champion? Because as I saw her and, and, and talked with her a few times, she said a few things that, that caused me to wonder because she wondered that very same question. If you were to ask her now, I'd, I'm sure she would say, absolutely. She's got that gold medal hanging around her neck. She'd say, absolutely. But the discipline that it took Early mornings, late nights, times that I know she was frustrated because she missed out on a lot of high school, a lot of 
being able to hang out with friends. It took a lot of hard work. The price of being a champion, I guess you'd call it. Early hours. And then I asked myself this same question. Is my discipline to be Christ-like, is it anything compared to that? Is it anything like the discipline that she demonstrated for a sport? I came to this conclusion, whatever it is, it should be more. It should be more. Because, see, there's a battle going on, and we're in it. We're in the midst of a battle. And this is so important. This is so important that you need to listen. Don't tune me out here thinking, this guy is just a college student. I am. And these aren't my words. And I don't want to impress you with my important outline or the way that I prepared things. But what the Word says. Discipline is essential to sowing so as to reap Christ-like character. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature... From that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for the incredible privilege that you've given me to speak to my fellow students from your word. And I pray that this morning you would open our hearts that we would seek you fuller, that we would leave challenged to know our Savior better. Thank you, Father, for this time, for this school. May you direct it and guide it. In Jesus' name, amen. As any business major could probably tell you, or even if you're not a business major, when you seek out a sound investment, you search, you study, you inquire for that which is going to give you the greatest dividend. That where you're going to get the greatest return on where you invest your money. Yet in our time, we are so careless in how we spend it. We are so careless in how we throw around our time. Yet so prudent most of the time if we're going to seek out an investment with our money. Well, this morning, one of the things that I hope you leave with is that where you invest your time has eternal value. It has eternal value. Over three years being here, now being a junior, I've seen a lot um, happen. I've, I've changed a lot. I've grown a lot, hopefully matured a lot. Um, one thing that, that lays heavy on my heart is that, because I've fallen into this very same thing, is that we have this idea that holiness comes through osmosis. That holiness comes through osmosis. That by being around the Master's College, we will be godly. That we will be godly. Osmosis. That it doesn't matter how I sow my time. It doesn't matter if I sow to the flesh. Because by being here with John MacArthur as our president, I will reap a holy life. You can't come to the Master's College, sow to the flesh... So that was easy, so that was just comfortable, so that was gratifies temporarily. And expect to walk that, pl- that platform out in center field four years later, a holy person, 
a spiritually minded, eternally minded person. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I see two types of people in this category of sowing to the flesh. And we all are in or, or have been in one of these at, at one time or another. The first one is you don't really care. You could care less about spiritual things. You could be sitting there right now. You're listening, but you're not hearing. You, you come because you have to sign in. You do what you know you have to do so that people look at you and smile. But you could care less about spiritual things. You're here for other reasons. Your parents sent you scholarship uh, for sports because uh, a friend brought you, a friend's here. But this morning, our passage has something to say about that, about sowing to the flesh and what you will reap. The second thing I see is that we want to experience Christianity secondhand. We want to experience it secondhand. And by that I mean that we think a spiritual environment, like I said, will make us spiritual. Spiritual talk, spiritual dress, spiritual conduct will make us spiritual people. I want you to listen to this incredible quote from a book most of you have read. Knowing God by J.I. Packard. He says, One can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. It depends on the sermons one hears, the books one reads, and the company one keeps. In this analytical and technological age, there is no shortage of books on the church, bookstalls, or sermons from the pulpits on how to pray, how to witness, how to read our Bibles, how to tithe our money, how to be a young Christian, how to be an old Christian, how to be a happy Christian, and generally how to go through all the various motions with, with being a Christian believer. Whatever else may be said about this state of affairs, it certainly makes it possible to learn a great deal at second hand about the practice of Christianity. Moreover, if one has been a good bump has been given a good bump of common sense, one may frequently be able to use this learning to help floundering Christians of less stable temperament to regain their footing and develop a sense of proportion about their troubles. And in this way, listen to this, one may gain for oneself a reputation for being quite a pastor. Yet one can have all this and hardly know God at all. That's tragic. We think that we can learn about Christianity secondhand, but that's how we grow. Well, if you'll look at verse 7 in chapter 6 of Galatians. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. You know what that means? You can't fool God. You can't fool God. You can fool me. You can fool your RA. You can fool your parents. You can fool your roommate. But you can't fool God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. He can't be fooled. In the book of Job, there's a really key thing that I want to share with you. If you'll turn to um, chapter 13 of Job. See, Job knew about this idea of not being able to fool God. His friends came and said, Job, can't you figure out God? You play God, Job. You figure it out. This is what Job says to his foolish friends. Chapter 13 of Job, verses 7 through 9, he says, Will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? Will you speak deceitfully for him? Will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him? 
as you might deceive men? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Would it turn out well? You can fool men, but you can't fool God. A couple translations or commentaries, if we might say, that, that put it well. The Living Bible says, Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. Can't ignore God and get away with it. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, after a paragraph. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. Did you catch that? When you think you're fooling God, you're only fooling yourself. You're deluding yourself by thinking you can fool God. The only one that's being fooled is you. See, you're the one that's playing the deception on yourself. Because God can't be mocked. God cannot be mocked. Those were Paul's words to Galatia. I remember my junior year, a movie came out that um, was called Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm sure most of you saw it or heard about it. There's this one scene where the whole premise of this is Ferris wants to cut school and he doesn't want to get caught, right? So he rigs up this big contraption so that when his mom or someone opens the door, I'm sure you can, you're picturing it now, he opens the door, there's strings attached to the bed, to the, the radio, to the, the window, to the light, whatever. She opens the door, it looks like, you know, there's groaning sounds coming from the stereo. He's got this big contraption rigged up. There's pillows underneath the bed, but it looks like he's there. So she, he could fool his mom. And it worked. He got away with it. But you know what? No contraption that we rig is going to fool God. You can't put on Christian talk, attend chapel, just to hope that God won't know you're not really there. Because he sees that there's only pillows under the covers. This is hypocrisy. It's what Strauss talked about on Monday. And our churches today... Our churches today breed it like it's a domesticated animal. We breed it rampant in our churches. Because this is why we teach our people how to fool others on Sunday, yet our seeds are sown to the flesh. How arrogant of us to think that we can fool God. You know what that's doing? It's sticking our nose up at God. It's sneering at Him. It's making us the ultimate authority Guess what? That was Lucifer's problem. He thought he could fool God. He thought he could be better than God. That's us. We try to run our lives as the ultimate authority. And you can sit here right now and you can fool us all. But God sees. He sees there's only pillows under the covers. No contraption you rig up is going to fool him. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Number one, you can't fool God. Number two, what we harvest depends on what we sow. What we harvest depends on what we sow. You see, Galatia at this time was invaded by Judaizers. And Paul wrote to combat what we would call legalism. They're trying to mix law and grace and make it all fit together. They could, they could do what they wanted. As with with this, this mixture of it all. Chapter 1 and 2, Paul's defending his apostolic authority. 3 and 4, he's contrasting the law with law with grace. 
And 5 and 6, he's talking about the believer under grace. Uh, classical writers of that time, this is how they described Galatia, the character of these people. Fickle, fond of change, not to be trusted. Could that be said of us today? Fickle, fond of change, not to be trusted. Chuck Swindoll writes this, Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Reap a destiny. What you do now counts for eternity. I have this vivid picture. Let's see if I can paint it for you. On one hand, there's this field, a lush green pasture, big solid oak tree bearing fruit. It's beautiful. The sun's shining down. The just cool breeze is gorgeous, like nothing that you had ever seen before. There's this picture of this field. And over here, there's dry ground, big cracks along the way because it's so dry. No water gets there. There's, there's kind of the remnants of a tree kind of scraggling out that all the leaves have fallen off. The branches are just kind of withering. Tumbleweeds rolling, rolling across the ground. Barren land. You see, there's only two choices. There's only two fields where we can scatter our seeds to the spirit or to the flesh there's no in the middle here somewhere because when you're not sowing to the spirit you're sowing to the flesh which reaps destruction I think we view our spiritual life with, with sort of a if I can use this word now, now stay with me as I describe this to you kind of a grocery store mentality we push our little cart around, going down the aisles. We take a little prayer life, throw it in the basket. Take a few good devotionals, a few quiet times, a mission trip here or there, and think that that, that somehow, now that it's in our basket, becomes part of our lives. That we can just pick and choose what we want, as, as it's just that easy. That we can fool God into thinking, well, I can talk like this, I can say this, I can look like this, therefore, that's how I am. Wrong. Very wrong. This grocery store mentality doesn't work. It doesn't cut it. It takes discipline. It takes work. In 2 Timothy, Paul talked about the hard-working farmer, the athlete, the soldier. Those are occupations that require discipline. Farming, an athlete who trains, the soldier, ready for battle. They require discipline. First of all, sowing to the flesh. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. You see, sowing to the flesh is easy. Because you know what? That's what we do by our very nature. That's what's easy. That's what's comfortable. It's that which gratifies, that which satisfies. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to work it. Today, I'm going to set out to sow to the flesh. You go about just doing what your, your, your nature wants to do. That which satisfies, and that's what you're going to do. Listen to this. Job 4.8, it says, As I have observed, those who plow evil, those who sow trouble, reap it. Or Proverbs 22, verse 8 says, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. 
and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. If you're still confused to the sinful nature here, let's look over at Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. And it says this, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That scares me. There's some of those that you pass over and go, no big deal. Uh, such sexual immorality, witchcraft. Okay, that's no big deal for me, you might say. But how about these ones about selfish ambition, envy, dissension, factions, things that probably happen on your wing or in your room or when you're out playing baseball, soccer, softball. When you don't sow to the Spirit, you sow to the flesh. Indifference. I don't care one way or the other. I'm just sitting here. I'm going to school. want to get an education. want to get a good job. It doesn't matter about my spiritual direction, my life as far as if I'm spiritually, eternally minded. No desire for spiritual things. Sowing to the flesh. The outcome? Destruction. Destruction. When you approach number two, when you approach developing Christian character secondhand, as Jerry Bridges describes in his, in his book, Practice of Godliness, listen to this. So often we try to develop Christian character and conduct without taking the time to develop God-centered devotion. We try to please God without taking the time to walk with Him and develop a relationship with Him. This is impossible to do. Outcome? Destruction. Do you realize that you could be involved in ministry in a position of leadership and still be in the habitual practice of scattering your seeds over here to the flesh, to the field that reaps reaps destruction? See, because Christ calls us to take up your cross and follow me, not take up your cross and serve me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Not serve the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We can't substitute Christian things for Christian character. See, our service is an outflow of our life with the Lord, of our walking with Him, of our knowing Him. It doesn't work the other way around. One flows out of the other. Can't substitute Christian things for Christian character. How do I stop this type of sowing to the flesh? How do I quit this habit of seeking to do that which is easy, that which gratifies me temporarily? Galatians 5.16 says it pretty clearly. So I say, live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature when you live by the Spirit. It's a war. These two fields are in opposition against each other. The spirit, the flesh. It's a battle. Look at, look at verses 17 and 18 of Galatians 5. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. 
They're in opposition. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. They're in conflict. It's a war. It's a war. And it's a matter of life and death, of destruction and life. Romans 8.13 says this. Just listen as I read it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to, de- you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. Conflict, life, death. Big choices. And I'm not talking about blatant things that, that you go, oh, that's sin, that's sin. How about just the things that we don't do? The things that we just say, that's too difficult. That takes too much discipline. I'd rather do what pleases me, which pleases the flesh. Outcome destruction, folks. I see him standing back, sitting back there, and I've got it in there, so I've got to read this. As the great theologian C.W. Smith once said, the only evidence of regeneration is a holy life. The only evidence of regeneration is a holy life. You can talk it. You can look it. The only evidence is living it. Decay, ruin, destruction, death. These words describe sowing to the flesh. And you know what? These are literal. It's not just figurative. Oh, I'm going to have... You know, I might, ne- might not make as much money. Or I might not have uh, the kind of career that I desire. This isn't just a symbolic type thing. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit. If we sow weeds, we can't expect to reap wheat. If we sow laziness, we can't expect to reap a disciplined life. A disciplined Christ-like life. The harvest corresponds to where we scatter our seeds. See, all we've learned, all we've heard over the semester in chapel, we've heard it, but where are we, where are we living it? Are, are we hearing it and indifferent to it? No desire for spiritual things? Your seeds are on this barren ground over here, swallowed up by the cracks and the tumbleweeds. Or are you sowing it to that which really counts, the Spirit, which will grow, blossom, reap eternal life? Further down in Galatians 5, in verse 25, it says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Living by the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, it's keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking as the Spirit leads us, doing that which, which we know we are to do. It doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that there's going to be no, no battle. It's all going to come easy. But it does mean that we'll reap eternal life, an abundant life. Thinking about, how, in my own life, and as I've shared, what is it that, that gets in my way of a disciplined life? You want to know what it is? You want to know what our greatest enemy is? And I'm not... There's, there's lots of different things. And Satan is the master of using many things to distract us. But you know what the greatest thing that stands in the way is? It's you. It's me. Listen to this poem by Amy Carmichael. It says this, 
God, harden me against myself, the coward with pathetic voice, who craves for ease and rest and joy, myself, arch-traitor to myself, my hollowest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go. The battle rages on, and you're the enemy. It's such, it's such the, the deceit of Satan to use our own nature to be the very thing that gets in the way, that gets in the way between us and God. What stands between you and ours in prayer? You. Who stands between you and sharing your faith? You. Who stands between you and deep, real, meaningful, genuine meditation in the Word? You. E.M. Bounds says this in his book, Power Through Prayer. Wow. Our laziness after God is our crying sin. No man receives God who does not follow hard after Him. And no soul follows hard after God who is not after Him early in the morn. Our laziness after God is our crying sin. I used to sit back and hear of, of men like Spurgeon, Luther, Wesley. They get up day after day at four in the morning, spend four hours in prayer, do, then, then begin all the things they do for the day. How can they do that? I still marvel at that. It's amazing. But then I realized something. I could do that tomorrow if I had the discipline. Do you realize that? We could go out of here, chapel, this morning, go up to our dorm room, set our alarm for 4 o'clock, when it rings, fight off that, that laziness, that sleep that, that, that craves for ease and comfort, and get up and spend four hours in prayer before your eight o'clock class. That is in our reach. It's discipline. It's not that these men were, that they were great. They were great men of, of God because they were disciplined men. I still wonder, will that ever be me? Could that be me? It's in my, it's in my reach. It's in our reach. We are what stands in the way. We are our worst enemy. They sowed to the Spirit, denying that which came easy, the flesh, sleep, comfort, and ease, to sow to this field. And look at what happened with their lives. Look at the incredible ministry they had, the lives that they touched through their lives. Warren Wiersbe says this, and I like, I like giving you lots of quotes because there's some, lots of great men who've said some good things that are, are worth consideration. We can learn a lot from, from, from men in the past who have, who have walked with the Lord. This is what Warren Wiersbe says. The ministry is no place for a loafer because it demands discipline and work. It's no place for a shirker because there are enemies to fight and tasks to be completed. My friends, if you're a believer, a regenerate child of God, you are in the ministry. You are a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the ministry is no place for a loafer. 
this is me. Please don't think that I'm, I'm standing here pulling the finger. I share this because this is what's on my heart. This is what I've wrestled through. And I come to this passage about a man reaps what, my, what he sows. That scares me. That scares me. Because what I do, what I sow, my harvest depends on where I throw my seeds. It's hard work. But listen, here's the promise. Here's the promise. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up, we're going to reap a harvest. Let us not become weary. Listen to what, what, what the word weary encompasses here. To turn out a coward, to lose one's courage, to lose heart in view of trials and evils. Don't lose your courage. Don't lose heart. Don't be a coward. Don't be weary. Because in doing good, in standing firm, at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest. Don't quit. Why? Because the harvest time will come, and when it does, you will be blessed with an abundant harvest. Not just eternal life, but abundant, joyful living and ministry here. Don't give up. Don't be a, desert, a deserter. A soldier is not going to drop his gun and run in the midst of a battle. We're farmers with seed to scatter, and we can't throw it away. We have precious seed in our hands. Where we invest our time, how we discipline ourselves, we can scatter it here, outcome destruction. We can scatter it here, outcome life. You and I are responsible for you and I. Take a look at yourself. Where are you scattering your seed? One last passage I wanted to share with you, and this is, this is powerful. Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. And listen to this. Listen to this. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until He comes and showers righteousness on you. Break up your unplowed ground. It's time to seek the Lord. That was Hosea's call. That's our call this morning. Where's your unplowed ground? Where is it that you need to get that, that shovel out and start digging away, seeking the Lord? Is it your priorities? Is it your speech? Your hidden habits of sin? Or are you uninterested in spiritual things? You're sitting out there just going, whatever, that's great, thanks. When's lunch? You're uninterested in spiritual things. Or maybe it's that you're hoping that you can, you, can, you can get the osmosis theory to work for you. That the second-hand Christianity is going to work. That you can be in this environment. That you can go to the master's college and, and walk out four years later a Christ-like person with Christ-like character. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. Do you enjoy scattering your seed to the flesh? 
I could care less. You're, you're, you're sitting there going, I, I could care less. I'm throwing it here, and I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Be prepared to reap decay. Be prepared to reap destruction. That's the call that Paul had for Galatia. That's the call that Hosea had. This idea we have of a compartmentalized faith. Here's my time for the Lord. Chapel, church, small group. And here's my time. Here's my time. And never the twain shall meet. See, there isn't a sacred, secular, spiritual, unspiritual. You can't not sow your seed. They're going one way or the other. It's where you invest it. And it doesn't end as we walk out these doors. Our, our time that we set aside for God, for spiritual things, it doesn't end when we walk out those doors. That's when it begins. When we're in our rooms. When we go home for the weekend, whatever it is. A man named Philip Keller, who was a, a shepherd, he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, looking, going through verse by verse of the 23rd Psalm. He said this, It is a tragic truth that many people who really have never come, or come under his direction or management claim that the Lord is my shepherd. They seem to hope that by merely admitting that He is their shepherd, somehow, somehow they will enjoy the benefits of His care and management without paying the price of forfeiting their own fickle and foolish way of life. That's tragic. That's tragic. I pray this morning that we take a serious look at our own life, at the areas in our life that are unplowed ground the areas where we're sowing our seed to the flesh that through the power of the Lord we can be disciplined people who sow our time for that which counts for an eternity that we might as Hosea says sow for yourselves righteousness and reap the fruit of unfailing love that should be our goal that should be our prayer as we graduate some of you in three weeks, some of you in three years, some in a year. That should be our goal, that we can walk saying, I've sowed righteousness, I've begun a pattern of living, of sowing righteousness, and I can enjoy reaping the harvest, the harvest of unfailing love. You're going to scatter your seed to one field or another, and you're going to reap the harvest of that seed. It's that simple. There's no middle ground. We need to make it count. Because it lasts for an eternity. We need to be real with ourselves. Because, what did verse 7 say? Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself into thinking that, that you can do these things to the flesh and reap to the Spirit. We need to be... a we're too much talk. We need to be a lot less talk and begin to be men and women of action, of discipline, of character. Some of you might have heard this if you've read Swindoll's book, Quest for Character. He includes this poem by Joe Bailey and it's called A Prayer of... A, a Psalm of Single-Mindedness. Single Listen to it. The whole thing. Listen to this. 
Lord of reality, make me real. Not plastic, synthetic, pretend phony. An actor playing out his part, a hypocrite. I don't want to keep a prayer list, but to pray. Nor to agonize to find your will, but to obey. What I already know. I don't want to argue theories of inspiration, but to submit to your word. I don't want to explain the difference between eros and philos and agape, but to love. I don't want to sing as if I mean it. I want to mean it. I don't want to tell it like it is, but to be it like you want it. I don't want to reach out to, other, to another thinking he needs me, but that I need him, else I'm not complete. I don't want to tell others how to do it, but to do it. To have, I don't want to have to always be right, but to admit when I'm wrong. I don't want to be a census taker, but an obstetrician, nor an involved person, a professional, but a friend. I don't want to be insensitive, but to hurt where other people hurt. Nor to say, I know how you feel, but to say, God knows. And I'll try, if you'll be patient with me, and meanwhile, I'll be quiet. I don't want to scorn the cliches of others, but to mean everything I say, including this. Including this. That should be our prayer of single-mindedness. Our prayer to sow our seeds to that which reaps eternal value. See, you can't leave here this morning without taking some application from this because you fall in one of three. Number one, you could care less. Don't care about spiritual things. Don't care about doing, being real, about really meditating on His Word and developing a disciplined prayer life. You don't care. You reap destruction. That should scare you. That should scare you and cause you to take a serious look at your life and what you're doing. Number two, you're applying for the osmosis theory. You think by being in an environment like this, you're going to walk away a Christ-like creature, living the practice of godliness. That's wrong. That won't work. Outcome destruction. You need to take a serious look at your life, at what you do. If you can't fool God, you're only fooling yourself. Or third, you're doing it. You're, you're breaking up that unplowed ground. You're seeking the Lord. You want to sow to what counts, that you might reap a harvest. And the encouragement to you, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't quit. Seek the Lord that you might reap unfailing love. Somewhere in there, you fall. Somewhere in there, I fall. We need to take a look at that as Paul shares with us that we reap what we sow and the seeds in your hands for you to scatter to the field where you scatter it, where you choose. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father God, this morning... Thank you that your word is powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
and it pierces to the very innermost parts of our being. Lord, this morning your word has pierced me, caused me to see the areas where my life is unplowed, where I sow my seed to the flesh. May that not be. For each one of us, may we today, this week, before the semester's out, take a serious look where we're scattering our seed. That we might begin to sow our seed to the Spirit. That we might reap eternal life. For any other way is just destruction. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. And pray that you would just cause it to, to be a great thing in the lives of each one of us as we look back at this passage in days to come. We pray these things in your name.